Welcome back to another edition of the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer, the USA Today Network, alongside the Knoxville News Sentinels, Adam Sparks and John Adams. Guys, the uh, the AP poll came out this week, and we were proven a little bit wrong there. Still no, not much love for the Vols. We thought maybe they'd be in the top 25 of the Associated Press rankings. In fact, they are number 26 just outside that top 25. However, that doesn't mean that the Vols aren't getting hype in other circles. Recently, I saw on the SEC Network, guys, that uh, analyst Roman Harper, of course, played at Alabama, predicted a 10-2 and season for the Vols, including an upset of Georgia. So does that make you rethink your guys' predictions for Tennessee? Anybody... Willing to stick their neck out there with Roman and say ten and two. I, I I love this that the wins always go up. You, usually it's from somebody local. It's not a national guy like Roman Harper. But we we start out with like a total wins prediction like midsummer, and then it you add another one early in camp, and then when you get close to kickoff, you add another win, and and everybody is two or three wins better than the, what they should be. You, you never hear anybody say. That team's going to go eight and four, and then when you get close to the season, say, eh, "I'm feeling more five and seven. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> Everybody gets more wins. Um, so no, I no, I don't see ten and two. Um, I mean, I've stuck with eight and four for a while because I think that's a it's reasonable to say they're going to be a little better, and the schedule for Tennessee is not terribly difficult. So I, I'm not getting anywhere close to ten and two. I think uh, you got to keep in mind, Roman. This is I think his second year on the SEC Network, and Maybe he's trying to make a name for himself because if he picks Tennessee to beat Georgia and go 10 and two, and it doesn't happen, nobody remembers that. But if Tennessee does in fact go 10 and two and beat Georgia, everybody's looking at Roman Harper, like he's a soothsayer Roman man, strong pick. Wow. Yeah. So, but it's the wrong picks. Nobody remembers that. So he's just trying to, He's trying to stand out and look, he's accomplished this. We on our esteemed podcast are talking about his prediction. John, is that is that why you said the the Vols should should get rid of Phil Fulmer as coach way back when, just in case it happened that you'd be yeah. the guy and, that called it? And then that's not why I did it, but it happened like 10 months later. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to stick with with Roman's prediction here and kind of guide our discussion. So I guess good for Roman giving us something to, to talk about here. I want to proceed through like a series of um, of games and say, is, is Tennessee more likely to beat A or B? And we're going to stop start at the top with, with the two big dogs because part of Roman Harper's 10-2 prediction included Tennessee upsetting Georgia. He predicted that Tennessee's only losses would be to Alabama and LSU. And so we're going to let that guide us a little bit here and and say, which is Tennessee more likely to upset between Alabama, who's preseason number one, or Georgia, preseason number three? Now, I'm not asking you guys to necessarily plant your flag out there and say, yes, absolutely, they're going to upset one of these two teams. But if you had to choose, which one are they more likely to beat? Um, And if it matters to you at all, uh, the Alabama game is at Neyland Stadium, but Alabama's number one, as I said. Georgia game, though, is on the road. 
Well, I, I want to pick between those two that Tennessee will beat Alabama. I want to pick that game because that was a competitive game for three quarters last year. Pick that game because Alabama's coming off of uh, a tough trip to Arkansas, I think, in a game that they'll, they've circled against A&M the two weeks before Tennessee. I want to pick Alabama to get beat by Tennessee because that's earlier in the season when I think Tennessee will be healthy, healthier. But, uh, and this will be a theme with our picks here, at least on my side, is I, my head says that. My guts, it's it's Georgia. And Tennessee has a chance to beat Georgia more times than they have a chance to beat Alabama. And my gut says Stetson Bennett, even though he just won a national title, is no better than Hendon Hooker. Bryce Young is better than Hendon Hooker. So uh, I think Tennessee can go into the game against Georgia and say our quarterback is better than your quarterback. They can't do that in the Alabama game. Uh, I just I think Alabama's better. So if I had to pick one of those, I'd say Tennessee would beat Georgia before they'd beat Alabama. Well, I don't think Tennessee's beating either one of those teams, and I don't know how close the games will be. Maybe Tennessee can keep it close for three quarters. I do like the fact Tennessee's playing at home against Alabama, even though that really hadn't impacted the series much. In fact, Tennessee has come closer against Alabama in Tuscaloosa than it has at home. However, Alabama's, I'm not sold on Alabama's receiving core. JoJo Earl, uh, one of the starters, is out for maybe two months. Uh, Jermaine Burton's got speed at the Georgia transfer, but I don't think he's anything spectacular. So I don't know if they can exploit Tennessee's pass defense as well as Georgia can, because I think Georgia with Brock Bowers, just the idea of him rambling through Tennessee's secondary, I just see that happening a lot. So if I have to pick one, I'll say Tennessee will, will upset Alabama, but don't take that out of context. All right. Well, like the vice president here, I'm going to break the tie and I'm going in favor of Adam. I'm going to say Georgia is more likely to be upset by Tennessee than Alabama. John, I think you raise a fair point about the questions over Alabama's wide receiver position. But all told, I think Alabama's offense is as good as Tennessee's offense. And I think Alabama's defense is certainly better than Tennessee's defense. So I don't see Tennessee having an advantage on either side of the ball in that game. I think with Georgia, you could maybe make the case that, yes, Georgia's defense is going to be better than Tennessee's defense, sure. But maybe Tennessee will have the better offense in that game. So at least perhaps they have an advantage on one side of the ball. So I give a slight edge to being more likely to upset Georgia, but I think we all agree that any of these are a long shot. All right, moving on to our, our second matchup. Uh, we're going to look at a pair of conference home games here and say, who is Tennessee more likely to lose to? At home against Florida or at home against Kentucky? And I phrase it as more likely to lose to because I think Tennessee would be favored in each of those games if the betting lines came out today. Yes, Kentucky's ranked, Tennessee isn't, but with the game being at Neyland, the history of that series, I think Tennessee's the favorite of each. But if they were to lose one of those games, Florida or Kentucky, which is more likely? They're more likely to lose to Florida. I'll, I'll stick with my theme. I'm going to go with my gut over my head here because um, my gut looks at it and says they're they're 1-16 in, in the last 17 against, uh, against Florida. 
And that's a game that you obviously you can't take for granted. That's a game that is going to have all kinds of psychological factors into it. There's, there's going to be tension in Neyland Stadium for that game uh, because you got to get over the hump against Florida. So it's more likely that they lose that game up. Also, if you look in the Kentucky side, John Calipari told me that that's a, that's a basketball school. So by the time that they play October 29th, that'll be uh, just right after Big Blue Madness. There'll be some preseason games rolling around Kentucky, and so nobody's going to pay attention to uh, to football that late in the year. Here's another example. I, I don't think they're going to lose to either one of those teams, and this is a tough call. I just don't like Kentucky against Tennessee. And I Florida, although I think Tennessee could be Florida by a double-figure margin, who knows? Maybe Anthony Richardson's still healthy by the third or fourth game, and he has a spectacular coming-out party, he, uh, and uh, Florida rallies to a victory. So I would have to go with Florida there because I just don't see Kentucky winning there in Neyland Stadium. I'm going to make it unanimous, guys, and I, I think that may be a surprise to the a lot of the pundits out there who are really high on Kentucky. But whatever uh, whatever those folks are buying about Kentucky, I, I know we all are more skeptical of. You can tell none of us are AP voters this year because Kentucky is ranked 20th in the preseason Associated Press poll. But like Adam, I, I can't get the, the series history out of my mind. 16 in the last 17 going in favor of Florida. Uh, I do think there's some sort of like psyche effect in, in this game, some sort of hold over the Vols. I think a lot of times players block that out. They're not thinking about series history uh, when they step onto the field. But I do think Tennessee players know that the Florida series has long gone in the direction of, of the Gators. Whereas, you know, on the flip side, you know, they, I, I think they know that Tennessee is expected to, to beat Kentucky. And I think the Vols do expect to beat Kentucky. So like you, John, um, I think Tennessee probably wins both these games, but to me, if they're more in danger of losing one, I think it's Florida. I think you make a good point with Anthony Richardson early in the season, probably better chance he's healthy. Um, Despite all the love for Will Levis, I think all told, maybe Anthony Richardson's a more dangerous quarterback given what he can do with his legs. And, uh, you know, I think early in the season, you know, maybe maybe Florida's still riding a lot of motivation from uh, the new hire of, of Billy Napier. And, and so, yes, I, I think I'll, we'll, we'll go unanimous across the board in that one and, and I'll say Florida. So... That'll bring us to our, our next one, and that is uh, a pair of road games. Now, this one might be hard for you, John, because I know how high you are on the South Carolina Gamecocks. You've you've pulled a 180 on Shane Beamer. You are all aboard the Beamer, Beamer bandwagon now. You like those dance moves, those sunglasses he flashed this summer right before SEC Media Days, and and you're you're buying the Beamer hype that I contributed to with the story that I wrote. <laughs> About well, the he's uh, in the preseason. Also, he puts family first. You can see him after the game. I mean, he's got everybody that's remotely related to him. I think there might be a few third cousins out there running around. Well, it's um, going to be family first versus family in this debate because it's going to be road game at LSU, road game at South Carolina. Ooh. I feel like those are both really toss-up games, key games on Tennessee's schedule. 
Which is Tennessee more likely to beat on the road, LSU or South Carolina? They're more likely uh, to win at South Carolina. They're more likely to lose at LSU. I don't remember if I've mentioned this story before on the pod, but covering MTSU, Middle Tennessee, years ago, I covered, I think, two games at LSU. LSU fans shook the bus. MTSU's bus. I did not see this, but I was told people they shook the fans shook the bus of MTSU when they got there. And I remember thinking, why? <laughs> why? Why? I mean, I Just know why. Just to be mean. Just to be I mean. mean. I, yeah, it was, alcohol was why. <laughs> but at the time there was Sunbelt School and they they said, Hey, this is a, a Sunbelt Conference school rolling in here. We're not gonna let these guys just walk into Tiger Stadium not being intimidated. So uh, it's a South Carolina has very loyal fans. They had terrible years many years ago, and those fans kept coming out, had wonderful attendance for bad football. Now they've had better football in recent years, um, and fans still come. And so that, that's actually a pretty good atmosphere. I think it's an underrated atmosphere in Columbia, but it, it's not Tiger Stadium. So the, the difference in those two atmospheres is why I would say Tennessee would be more likely to lose on the road um, at LSU. They also haven't been there since I think 2010. So um, it'll be a new, a new atmosphere for Tennessee players. They went to South Carolina two years ago. So it's, it's just a different environment. Well, um, 2010, Tennessee actually got to celebrate a victory over LSU. Uh, celebration lasted about five seconds. And then the officials pointed out that they'd had 13 players on defense when they stopped LSU at the goal line. Uh, I think assistant coach Chuck Smith was in charge of uh, uh, calling out the troops on goal line defense and just uh, his counting failed uh, Tennessee. So then LSU scored on the next play. My wife was at the game and forever remembered that LSU cheated Tennessee out of a game, but she didn't know what had transpired and 13-man defenses just don't work in the SEC. You know, this is a game, until this week, I would have had no doubt. LSU is a tougher game. In fact, LSU is a game I I expected Tennessee to lose. I was expecting Miles Brennan to be the quarterback, and he, he is now no longer a Tiger. He's just retired. He's done with football. Jaden Daniels' possibility, if he's the quarterback, the Arizona State transfer, I really like Tennessee's chances there because I'm not uh, enamored with his throwing ability. I am enamored with the throwing ability of Spencer Rattler, the Oklahoma transfer now in South Carolina. So with the quarterback change at LSU, I'm saying South Carolina would be the game Tennessee would more likely lose on the road. You're almost in Roman Harper land with your love for South Carolina at this point, John. But I, it's like you said, what's the danger of going all in? You know, if, if the Gamecocks flop, other than me reminding you on this podcast, who's no really going to point it out to you? It's, it's uh, all reward, very little risk and sticking your neck out there for the Gamecocks. Sure. Yeah, I have a long are... history of doing that, so right. I can empathize with uh, Roman Harper and wish him well. There you go. I, I'm going to break the tie on this one again, and I'm pretty torn here. I, th- I think I'm more torn than I was between Georgia or Alabama. Didn't hesitate to go with Georgia on that one in the tiebreaker, but I am going to say Tennessee's less likely to beat LSU on the road 
than South Carolina. I agree with John. South Carolina is going to have the better quarterback between those two teams. But uh, top to bottom, I like what Brian Kelly's done in the transfer portal. Much like Adam, I can't ignore the location of that game in Tiger Stadium. And while South Carolina, I think, is a very underrated venue, particularly at night, that place does get, williams Bryce does get rocking pretty good for night games. You get those white towels waving and the whole bit, uh, it's hard to top Tiger Stadium because, as Adam alluded to there, they're going to start drinking about 8 a.m., and if they don't kick off till 8 p.m., you know, I mean, you could have Ole Miss Tennessee all over again and have stuff flying out of the stands, If assuming nobody's there's enough people who aren't passed out by, by that point. But that, that was something that Lane Kiffin said to me when I sat down with him earlier this summer, John, that there's two venues in the SEC that are just different at night. They're wired completely different. He said Neyland Stadium and Tiger Stadium are the two that you kick off for a night game, and it's it's different than kicking off for noon kickoff. Would, would you agree with that? Are those the two that transform the most when you go I, from night game to, to – or from day game to night game? I agree. There are plenty of hostile venues in the SEC. As Adam pointed out, I mean, South Carolina's Williams-Brice Stadium is underrated as a hostile venue. Auburn is a great – uh, home field crowd, but you're right. Uh, Lane Kiffin is right. I think at night, that's really impressive that, that I'm glad Adam provided that antidote that MTSU, a Sunbelt conference team goes into Tiger stadium and those fans, they're not overlooking the Sunbelt conference opponents and no, we're treating you the way we treat sec teams. We are harassing you. We'll shake your butt. You'll shake the bus and we'll make you wish you'd never seen Tiger Stadium. So that sends a message. Again, I think alcohol is the common denominator there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although I think I think that game that I was at was actually an early game. I know it wasn't uh, a night game. Really? I think it was the early game. So, uh, but but my theory on that is, uh, guys are really if it's if it's an early game like at lunchtime was it eleven thirty or whatever game. They're they're really really loading up right before they go in, and so I think sometimes that may actually makes it worse rather than better. If, rather than if you're pacing yourself throughout the day, I guess either could could got go not so well. But yeah, shaking the bus at I think it was like 10 a.m. or something like that. So we're speaking of true stories down in Baton Rouge, and I was down there last year for a game. It was LSU Florida. And that was a day game. I believe it was a 11 a.m. Central Time kickoff. And LSU won that game at Ogeron. It was like his final stand. He was fired nonetheless, but he won that game. And I'm walking out of the stadium. You know, I've filed my column, so it's not right after the end of the state, the end of the game. It's been a little bit, but we're still like, you know, afternoon, early evening. And there was a woman at a tailgate tent who'd clearly hit the sauce a little too hard, and she's wearing a tank top. And she's passed out sitting there in a lawn chair with one of her breasts out, just exposed to the world, passed out in a lawn chair, exposing for us all to see. But I just walked on past, headed to my car, and that was that. But, yeah, the things you only encounter, I guess, at Tiger Stadium. It's called post-gaming. It's not (laughs) pre-gaming. That's post-gaming. Yes, her (laughs) post-game ended ended a little early than, or than, than some others. Poor lady. All right, guys. We'll, uh, 
we'll leave that there. And I uh, want to close, though, with uh, some conversation about uh, preseason practice. Adam, you're doing the Lord's work out there on a, on a daily basis, taking in these preseason workouts and the post-practice media sessions and, and all that. But I want to zero in on something John wrote in Knox News this week. John, you, you wrote about the backup quarterback competition and said, if Tennessee needs a backup this year, or even if they don't and blow out games, you'd really like to see Taven Jackson get some audition time, see what the future may hold for him, as opposed to the veteran Joe Milton, who opened last season as the starter before being surpassed by Hinn and Hooker. So, John, I want to get into your thoughts in a moment, but first, Adam, what are you seeing, I guess, in terms of the backup converse, competition there and, and how solidly is it Joe Milton's job there as, as backup QB? Yeah, I, from my vantage point, I don't see a competition. I mean, I, for, for the number two job, if Taven Jackson plays over Joe Milton, it's clearly from where I'm seeing right now in preseason and what I'm hearing from coaches, it would clearly be a decision to set up Taven Jackson for next season to give him, you know, some uh, some good vibes going into the offseason that he's got a chance to start next year, um, that he is already ahead of Joe Milton, that if either one of them were to get the starting job next year, as opposed to Nico Yamaliava, good enough, we'll go with Nico, uh, that, it, that he would be ahead of Joe Milton going into the offseason. It would be more of a message sent. If you're just looking at it and saying who's better uh, to play on a Saturday, then Joe Milton is the guy. That's how they feel. And from what I see, I, I kind of feel that way too. I think Joe Milton has looked very serviceable, um, accurate throwing the ball, actually has looked pretty good throwing deep balls for what that matters in practice, um, understands the offense a lot better. Um, so it, Whichever one you pick, if he's picking Joe Milton, especially early in the season, that's that's his best quarterback, he feels. Uh, if he's picking Taven Jackson to go out there ahead of Milton, that's looking ahead to next year. I didn't watch Joe Milton practice last year in preseason. I assumed he practiced well because he won the starting job. How he does in practice wouldn't be a concern of mine. It would be how will he, how will he play in a game, a meaningful game, when the score is close and I just have a hard time shaking some of the things he did last year. Not just his inaccuracy on deep balls, overthrowing a lot of guys. He became known as Overthrow Joe by an unsympathetic fan base. Um, but also his decision-making. We went through that with uh, Jarrett Garantano for four years. And I know Joe Milton has a great arm. He could He could probably knock out a safety with a real – well-aimed fastball, but I just don't know if I would trust him in a tight game. And I don't know what Taven Jackson could do. That's why I would like to see what Taven Jackson can do in a game situation. Because even though Butch Jones says players just play the way they practice and there's no such thing as gamers, I don't think any of us believe that. Um, and some guys just perform better once they're in the pressure of a game. So I'd like to see what Taven Jackson can do because I know what Joe Milton can do. Yeah, I think points well taken in, in both both sides there. Uh, one more for you guys here before we, we wrap up. Adam, um, you know, preseason camp's always one of those times where 
guys maybe low on the depth chart or young guys start making a lot of headlines. And frankly, let's be honest about some facets of this business. It's not because those guys are necessarily going to be superstars or starters. It's because it's more interesting to fans if you write about the new guys and the guys who might make a move on the depth chart than your established starters. We don't need to read a bunch of stories <laughs> about established starters that we know everything about. However, sometimes guys legitimately do break out in camp um, and become a bigger factor in the season than we once may have thought. So is there someone making moves in this camp that you think this isn't just a cute little August story, but this guy might actually become a, a real contributor for the Vols this season? Well, I mean, Squirrel White was the obvious one for a while. The issue with him at, at slot receiver is that he's been uh, he's had some some slight injuries over the past four or five days. So uh, even Josh Hopple said he's going to have to be out there and show that he can play consistently for him to to get on the field because there's not really a whole lot of reps for him to take. You know, I mean, if I had to pick somebody, it's going to be one of the two running backs, but I, but I don't know that I can pick one of those right now. Justin Williams, Thomas, Dylan Sampson. Justin Williams, Thomas is a physical back um, trying to – get through some issues and pass protections. He's better, but I would say not good enough. Um, Dylan Sampson is the big play guy, but uh, he's picked up pass protection a little quicker. Um, but they're wondering if he can run with sort of the physicality that you need at the SEC level. So both of those guys right now um, would be fighting for the number three running back spots. So I don't know how much you may say that's not much of an impact, but last year, Tennessee went three and four deep because of injuries and other issues. So you're going to have to have at least three backs. So that third guy will will play at some point. And Jalen Wright, the number two back, has been injured some in camp. So already you've got an issue there. So I would say one of the two running backs uh, would, would be my pick, whichever one wins that, that number three spot. Uh, to your initial point, Blake, yeah, usually the people want to know the newcomer that's going to break out. By the way, Brew McCoy would be it also if you want to count just newcomers. USC transfer, he's still not eligible as we record this. But usually it's a year after. Everybody has this, uh, you know, this sense that they want to know who's going to pop immediately. And then that storyline, that narrative sort of drifts away and nobody pays attention to him any, anymore. Usually it's one year late. Christian Charles last year was the guy that everybody said, hey, you know, he's going to be the new guy. It's going to play immediately in secondary. Well, a year later, he he has pretty good chance, pretty decent chance to start at corner. It just it just took a year. Um, Walker Merrill got a lot of attention last year. Got to Brentwood. Well, you know he 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 may start and he's going to play a lot. He's going to have a lot of catches. And then once he got into the season, um, his name faded away. Well, a year later, if Brew McCoy does not start, I think Walker Merrill will start at one of the outside receivers. So it's just a lesson to some people out there that. Um, hang on to these names, these these newcomers, especially the freshmen, because they probably will pop next year. They just won't pop this year in, in games. I'm really curious about Jalen Hyatt at the slot receiver. We've heard a lot of good things about him. Uh, coaches were gushing over the way he practiced in the spring, and he it looks as though he will win that job despite competition. Uh, there's always been an air of expectancy about him as though this guy's going to be really good. He was a four-star recruit. And now we're hearing the talk and hype to suggest that finally he's coming around and this will be his year, but he still has to do it. And so I, that's the guy I'm going to be looking at. Okay. Is this, is he really going to do it? Because 
He certainly can run. And uh, so that that is a receiver. Tennessee really needs him to be good. It really needs a good slot receiver, whoever it is. And so Jalen Hyde is somebody I'll be watching. Yeah, and, and I'll kind of reiterate a couple points you guys have made here. Adam, you mentioned Walker Merrill. He's someone who, you're right, he was in that, that position last year of getting a lot of preseason buzz, and then I'd sort of maybe kind of written him off a little bit, like, eh, this is guy just going to be like an August camp hero. But now that he comes back around this year, I know you've written about him a lot. We've talked about him on this podcast. makes me think, okay, maybe he's just a year late on, on this breakout. Uh, and then I also know, you know, you wrote recently, Adam, about the, the, the competition at uh, inside linebacker alongside Jeremy Banks. And I think the assumption is, oh, well, Aaron Beasley returns as the starter. He's your guy, right? Well, as you wrote, Adam, you know, there was a guy who was getting a ton of, of hype this time last year, the Texas transfer, Jawan Mitchell. He got banged up last season, and now he's back contending for that job. Yes, so he's a guy that, again, a year after all the hype, maybe he's ready to, to contribute and step in there. Yeah, and I do think it's it's sort of do or die with him because um, he, he's done it before. You mentioned he was a leading tackler at Texas. Um, they say he was injured when he got here last year. So the, the decision to give him, I think it was shoulder surgery early in the year, was not terribly unexpected, at least within the program. He's healthy. He understands the defense. He has a chemistry with his teammates. He should be able to play reasonably well. All right, guys, let's leave the conversation there, and uh, maybe we'll pick up the predictions next week if Roman Harper has anything else to say about the Vols. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State.